That's how it starts. The fever, the rage, the feeling of powerlessness that turns good men cruel. Welcome, I'm Andrew Dice. And I'm Stephen Colbert. And this is Batman v Superman by the Minute, a podcast, you should know this by now, Rewatching and discussing the movie one minute at a time. We have arrived at minute 107. Clark has reached the mountaintop. He's not alone. And now... Well, there's no way to get around this, so let's just uh, dive in and find out about Jonathan Kent's hero cake. Your grandma baked me cake. Said I was a hero. Later that day, we found out we blocked the water all right. We sent it upstream. The whole lane farm washed away. While I ate my hero cake, their horses were drowning. Minute 106 concluded. I think we kind of allowed for there to be the Jonathan telling the story of we drove back the water, we stopped the water, we saved the farm. This is where it is concluded that we saved the farm. Yeah. Clark's grandmother, Jonathan's mother, even baked him a cake and said he was a hero. Everything looking good. Something fantastic accomplished. But what they didn't know is that in saving their farm, they drove the water back. The entire Lang farm washed away. Nice appearance from the Langs. Not nice appearance from the Langs. (laughs) (laughs) But Jonathan famously now, for us especially, while he was eating his hero cake, their horses were drowning. I want to... Stop there, I think, for for our discussion, because we're going to have stuff to discuss here. There's like three parts to this minute that I think are worth their own discussions. So for that first one, their horses were drowning. (laughs) Obviously, for our podcast, this is this is a loaded metaphor. I'm I want to hear what you think about it. Yeah. Well, you said we're going to stop there. Can we talk about the I used to hear them wailing Wailing in sleep? Yes. Okay. good. Because that's where I kind of went. We've been talking about horses for a while, but I went down kind of a new rabbit hole with this one that was actually really, really fascinating. And it kind of started with thinking about the the, the visual image of horses drowning as a like as a concept, and also the fact that 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 is a a thing that appears often in fiction, and the idea of a of a kid not being able to, to get it out of his head. It reminds you of like never ending story, I think is a, a oh traumatic oh, touch man. point for people. You just, you just, sorry, we have to put a content warning <laughs> on this podcast. Now I, I know that that is one of the most probably traumatizing moments yeah. for a lot of kids, especially of our age. And so I started, I was, I was wondering what is it about, about horses drowning that, you know, that's an intentional thing that's done here. And I, and I think that it's not, a, it's not a, a thoughtless thing that happens in never ending story or, you know, any of the other art, if you've ever seen, you know, there's lots of art of, of horses drowning, getting, you know, in battles or getting thrown off of a ship or falling into ice or, you know, what, what have you, it's, it's a, it's a, it's a motif and it's a symbol. And so I did, I did a little bit of digging on that and it, and it's really interesting because if you look at the, the, you separate the two concepts of horses and, and drowning and actually you can even separate it further into horses and water and drowning as as three things that are happening in like in dreams like if you have there are people that have recurring dreams or have a a, 
a horse drowning in in their dreams, whether either trying to save it or or something like that is happening. And horses are usually seen as symbolizing um, like power and um, or or freedom or just kind of the the ability to to do or to be and can and can represent like our drives or our ambitions. However, that can also be a negatively expressed concept where it's it is, you know, something is overly ambitious or it's out of your control. You know, if if a if a if a, if a, a wild horse for example is a a negative power whereas, you know, someone riding a horse is a controlled beneficial thing. And so so the idea of of a horse drowning well, I guess if you look at the idea of drowning is is something that is it's being consumed or it is being swallowed. It's also it happens like in it's a it's a lonely thing in the sense that people either can't help you or or aren't helping the the person that's drowning. And so like when a horse is drowning, it, it is it's power or or ambition or ability being overwhelmed, squashed or overwhelmed yeah. or or subdued. And so that's just really interesting as a, as a metaphor here in the story that Jonathan is telling Clark in this particular moment, because that's, I think, the visual of Clark in the flames in the Capitol building is a is a uh, synonymous with a drowning horse in, in concept. It's also really interesting because dead horses can be a uh, like a warning like in art or in dreams. It can be a warning that someone has lost direction or that they need to to change their their goal or their objective or that their their means no longer suits them and interestingly on urban dictionary there is a an the phrase drowning the horse which is a flip on the you can lead a horse to water but you can't make it drink and so to drown the horse would mean kind of the opposite of like forcing the horse to drink and then thereby um, and thereby drowning it, which is also interesting in this context, which led me to thinking about another thing that Snyder is working on, which is the movie Horse Latitudes. There's not a whole lot that's known about that plot, but if you look up Horse Latitudes. Yeah. Oof. Gird yourself before you do it. Yeah. You, you'll, you'll find an image of a horse of a horse drowning if you if you look it up. And there's a bunch of different ways it could be applied. So it's not necessarily, I don't think it's not like a, a movie that takes place on a ship, for example, but it's an area in, in the, like, not, not exactly the Bermuda Triangle, but kind of down in that tropical zone where, um, and I, as a black sales fan, you know this word, ships would become becalmed. And, the doldrums, uh, yeah. And, and, they would just be out out there and they would need to kind of just survive until the ship drifted into the wind again. And if there were horses on board, that would be often hard to keep them alive. And there's a certain point where the humans are competing with the horses for resources and whatever. So they would throw the horses overboard. And so when you think of the, the concept of horse latitudes and like what's itching Snyder's kind of creative brain there, it's that same idea of, of a drowning horse of this, you have this power, but you can't utilize it in a beneficial way, and so it needs to be like disposed of, or 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 discarded, or it becomes useless and dies and drowns. And so, anyway, that's a lot of that's very tangential to this whole thing, but I think is encompasses a lot of what we're talking about here. That it's not just 
oh, there were negative consequences here. But right. the the this the water, the drowning, the horses, him hearing the horses screaming in his sleep as a child are all um semitic to to the larger themes of the movie and specifically what superman is dealing with in this moment the idea of a horse being drowned is unnatural if a horse is drowning it is probably because it has been drowned right right because of man like there is something that just practically it, it's it's not going to get unnatural it's, it's not going to get itself into water too deep to swim out of on its own yeah to a larger point, I mean, you know, I don't think you need to be a spiritual person to understand why horses are kind of a sacred animal, like in art, is they are attached to so many powerful things. They are stronger than a person. They are faster than a person. They are more noble than a person. Like, the image, there's a reason, you know, the four horsemen. <laughs> yeah. Like, we've talked about horses as signaling a transition, uh, be that death, something of note, something important in this film is marked by the presence of a horse. Yeah. So the idea of you presumably other animals died, right? Like, Oh yeah. It, but nobody line reads totally different. If while people, I was eating my hero cake, their cattle were drowning. Yeah. Well, because they're, they're going to get utility out of the cattle yes. if they drown. Right. But the horses, it Th- is, that's it, wrong. It is their, that's more it is, wrong. Like they, they, I mean, I guess maybe this is a little bit too late in history for this to be their function, but you know, the, they, they, they are a tool just as much as, you know, they're not raising them for their meat or for their whatever. They're, they're using them to, to help accomplish tasks on yeah, the farm. Not, not a tool in the sense that they are like a thing, but a tool in which they are like essential. Yeah. Um, they are their livelihood. You know, mm-hmm. um, it's more than the whole it, – the whole Lang Farm washed away is, is saying, okay, it gets the point across. But how do you rebuild without the horses? And to really mark it as – like Jonathan here I think uses it to mark it as – there's a lot going on here where he says, while I was my while I was eating my hero cake, their horses were drowning, which is a fictional symbolic while that he is using because we know that practically that, that would not be. It is unlikely that his mother baked a cake for him that night uh, and that he he, you know, ate it yeah. uh, literally while. Yeah. And he he heard the wailing of them in their sleep, which he didn't he, he didn't hear that. Yeah. So he has internalized this idea that while I was accomplished and thought I did the right thing, something horrible was was taking place. Something that was like a wrong, you know, capital W, because, that was caused by us. Yeah. yeah. They did that to those horses, right? That is, that's why he's being haunted by it, mm-hmm. because it was more than just the farm. It was, for a farmer, um, something horrifying. Mm-hmm. And tragic, and I think it's really it's interesting here that he is what this does like on a broader scale is he equates being content and being satisfied with a job well done with ignorance of something horrible, like the horrible cost mm-hmm. and in this film, like in this work that we've seen. The idea that horses were being killed by him uh, and he was oblivious to it is for his son, who is worried about not seeing the impact that he's having, more horrifying. Like, <laughs> it's, the, it's the worst possible example of that, mm-hmm. is that horses are supposed to be above this. It isn't the horses that are dying in the scenes that we're talking about. 
the horses are above it. Um, you know, like the horses, the rider's gone, sure, but the horse is fine because this isn't about the horse. It takes it to a whole another level when you start doing it. I also want to call out, I am, I am reminded of my three nights with a Bolshoi ballerina uh, who taught me <laughs> that one man's luck is always his brother's misfortune. Mm-hmm. Obviously, far more Russian because it is incredibly grim. <laughs> right. <laughs> because it is always, one man's fortune is always another's misfortune. I think Jonathan doesn't say it, but but that is the conclusion that he came to here. Well, and what a grim conclusion also, for, like for uh, KGBs to say that as someone who like grew up in Russia or the Soviet Union is like kind of the grim consequence of like communism, whereas that was just kind of a reality for him. Whereas for Jonathan growing up in the heartland of America as a as a farmer, that would be a crushing notion contrary to the american values he surely has like imbued in his all good comes at the cost of someone yeah exactly and that the uh you know all accounts are balanced in the end is like another grim (laughs) little thing to tack on the end there it's the same idea so thinking of it that way is superman clark is here saying okay but i'm the fortune Mm mm-hmm what does that mean? That doesn't help me. I am, if I'm going out of my way to save someone, and here I have my dad repeating this terrible idea that is making me feel so hopeless, which is, I thought I did the right thing, and I thought I did the impossible and saved my family and saved our farm. And what I didn't realize is that doing that meant destroying someone else. So, for Clark, what do you do with that? Like, I mean, this is the this is at the very heart of what he is is talking about here, right? right. And, like, well, and like we were talking about last minute about the the way this is a sort of a stage two or you know stage three or whatever of the lessons that Jonathan wanted to imbue Clark with, whereas before it was you have to keep this part of yourself a secret, and and you know do I should, you're saying I should have just let them die. Maybe, maybe because what would the, what would the, no good deed goes unpunished, right? So if you did that, I'm, I'm for me, for a regular guy, I've, I witnessed that doing something or not, I witnessed, I became aware that sometimes doing what you think is right and doing good can have ramifications beyond that. But I find it fascinating in both of those situations. While Jonathan seems to be teaching Clark a very similar lesson. At the same time, he is not, he's not actually really teaching him anything. He's just telling him kind of a, a factual anecdote. Like he says, I'm supposed to let them die. He says, maybe, because like he's like, he's openly admitting he doesn't have the answers. He only knows, he's like, I can tell you the problem and I don't need you to solve the problem. And I don't need you to, like, I don't know that you can solve the problem. I just need you to understand that it is a problem. And that is why there's so much at stake here you if you're going to do this you need to be need to do it as somebody who understands you will drown the lang or sometimes at least you will drown the lang's horses when you save the farm that doesn't mean don't save the farm it doesn't mean don't save the bus that's your call to make not mine but you do need to understand that you are making those decisions whether you make those decisions or not you someone sent you here for a reason and i don't know what that was right yeah he, his whole thing is i'm gonna tell you my life 
and then hope that you take some wisdom from it. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's like a that's a father, right? Like that's a parent. That's not a you see Clark, you know. Like that would be a little bit harder to believe. This is right. easier for me to believe. Well, especially because the the turn that you're almost waiting for is the so what you need to understand is like no he that's just like the end of the story is I was eating the hero cake and the horses were drowning and I used to hear him screaming in my night in my nightmares and. That's why I'm here. That's what I came to tell you, Clark. <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, Stephen, accept that. Jonathan didn't know he was teaching a lesson. And at this point, I don't think we, we kind of discussed Clark does not know why he is having this particular memory. Right. Um, jogged back. How do we know that this situation scarred Jonathan? Because he heard it in his sleep. Ding, 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 ding. Bruce Wayne raising his eyebrows, looking over from <laughs> his section of the movie. That it invaded his sleep. We get this this fantastic moment where it seems like Clark is remembering. I interpret this again as he remembers the question he asked. Mm-hmm. And he repeats it here almost like he's reading a line that allows Jonathan's monologue to continue where he says, did it ever stop? Did the nightmares ever stop? Mm-hmm. This scene would have one meaning to a teen or a preteen hearing their father tell it. But I think it has more meaning here than even Clark realizes in the moment, because Clark does not yet grasp the lesson being taught here by Jonathan. Clark does not yet grasp the lesson that Jonathan does not yet realize he is giving. <laughs> yeah. Uh, where he says, in the nightmares ever stop? And Jonathan says, yes, when I met your mother. Having, even having gone through that experience that would underscore the triviality of all life, he met Martha and she gave him faith that there was good in this world. She was his world. She was his world. There's a lot of stuff here where a lot of people give Zack Snyder and uh, th- these movies a lot of guff for forcing a parallel to uh, like Jesus and a just a Messiah figure. But I think that the lesson, the lesson Jonathan is saying here is that. In a world like the world where there is where good and evil are not black and white, a meaning good does not mean you will only do good. Instead of deciding this is pointless and I am lost, what gave him faith was loving and being loved. Well, and also to to focus cares or his his world on to his own the things that he values so like martha is important to him and she gave his world meaning and so that doesn't make the the lang's horses unimportant or or the lang's it just farm made it so that it gave him direction right right but it, it gave his his world meaning because she was important to him and so now he had like a, an anchor by which to say like okay no so bad things happen and, and good things happen and that's the point and i like you could say what's the point or you could pursue the things that do good for you or 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 are good in your like not in this context it's weird to say that because it's like at the it's in the the question of is it at the expense of others or not but i do find it really interesting that his solution to an external problem was how he defined his world and yeah, who was the, in it it wasn't um and it's it's crucial that he doesn't say your mother made me forget. Right. She took my attention off of it or anything. There's good in the world. There is bad in the world. 
good will always come with bad. One man's luck is always his brother's misfortune. So what made you move beyond that? Like what made you move forward? And it was love, like capital L love. Like that was the direction. That was the path forward. Looking at Jonathan Kent's life. Oh my God. Uh, (laughs) At every step you look back at Man of Steel, he was trying to do the thing, like, where is your heart telling you to go? Like, what is your heart telling you to do? And while that is, I mean, that's basically exactly what Martha, that's her lesson to Clark as well. Be, be their hero, be their savior, be whatever they need you to be, or be none of it. Um, like, follow your heart. Like, that is the whole point. Yeah. And for for Jonathan, that was finding love in not <laughs> not Clark's grandmother, not in hero cakes. Right. Uh, you know, because Martha's got a hero cake ready for Clark probably every time that, that he thinks <laughs> he needs one. Yeah. But but it is that. So that's what I'm saying. Like, what we're tapping in here, too, is you could frame this in like a Christian, um, you know, religious parable of love one another, right? Um, that's the actual key. Love is the answer. But I, I think that it tangibly, and this is an example of what we're talking about here, this has nothing to do with religion. This has nothing to do with faith. This is strictly on a person to person. I found someone to love and to love me. And that was the answer. That became the world. And that shut out the world of, you know, this horrible good and bad, right. grays, black and white, evil. Well, you could even say it's, it's um, I don't know, I don't, I don't want to put too much of a, of a spin on it. But I mean, you could almost say it's anti-religious. Because what he's telling him is to find fulfillment in something that is of this world, whereas religion- That's true, and that's true, Stephen. However, I would say that if his son, who is hearing this lesson, decides that he will, in an ultimate expression of faith in love, sacrifices himself for all mankind, a lot of people would probably start gathering around him. So it's like, (laughs) where we're going with the whole religion angle. But that's what I'm saying. It's like, yeah, that's why the story works. But I also think that the point of it- is more universal than just confining it into one version of this story that, you know, like that we're also talking about Neo, this is Avatar. Yeah. Like this is well, when I say all it's of these almost, same stories. Almost anti-religious. I don't even mean that it is opposed to or contradictory with so much as I think it encompasses like the, she was my world. She gave me faith. She, whatever as a, oh, it's like that, a is, that is something that religion, yeah. that religion provides for for people also but the whole point is find grounding find something that grounds you to who yep. you are and why you're here for me that was martha at i won't say at risk of i will say i will avoid tripling the runtime of the of this podcast by going into all of this super in depth but it's especially because a lot of this is stuff that we'll be talking about in the future and in the future of a different podcast and in an alternate timeline version of a other podcast the idea that jonathan found solace in martha because when he says i'll I'll explain the other stuff that i said in a second (laughs) but because when he says that i i can't hear him say that without hearing in my in in the in the ether of my brain clark listen to the sound of my voice pretend it's an island right she was that for him as a child in the same she provided that same like clark knows exactly what he's talking about because he used to lose sense of sense 
right? Of what and and he's still calling her in the middle of the night. Yeah, exactly. And as we find out later in the movie, because he repeats this phrase, this phrase of "She was my world" is important because in the future, Clark will say, yeah. "You are my world." To to Lois, and it's interesting that you mentioned Bruce Wayne earlier when you were talking about the idea of dreams and and, and sort of losing yourself because of the fact that. Bruce was going to be in, in Justice League. They were going to lead this into him being in a relationship with, with Lois. He, never, he didn't have his Martha, right? And in this movie, he, he kind of... That, that what we're talking about now is, is the very same concept that breaks... Because Bruce doesn't have this anchor. He doesn't have... His world isn't anchored to Martha, right? And so later on, the, the consequence of that will kind of be shattered... So it's really fascinating that that he's like, well, I, I need, I need to make someone or something my world other than this drive to destroy crime because that obviously that being my anchor leads me to bad places. Kind of making Martha and Lois this really weird yin yang cyclical relationship of, and when I say Martha, it's the plural Martha, right? And so anyway, like I said, I, there's so much to talk about from all those different angles, and obviously that story was changed, and that's not that's not even all relevant to this minute but i almost can't let that phrase like she was my world go by without kind of giving a brief explosion into look at just how core this is jonathan saying this and then you seeing how this that feeling or that thought towards martha is is a is a through line that impacts so many characters and ties all of the main it's the spine of everything that happens and uh, that's so cool. She was my world and you took her from me. Yeah. Like this is now backfilling, but also Lois Lane is the key because Superman loves her, but here is helping to explain like what that actually means. Like, right. In the, like you said, in the ether until Clark kind of gets to this point in his story himself, this is what Lois represents for clark he has yet to realize it that he has this but he hasn't put this memory of jonathan together through his own experience yet right he's definitely hearing the horses wailing <laughs> yeah <laughs> I, I find it interesting that like we were saying that it, it's presented as a memory and it doesn't really have much meaning in its presentation until clark asks the question because it's almost like jonathan doesn't even know what clark needs from it like he knows that he needs the story it's almost more of a sympathetic story than a lesson story where he's like, I understand. I experienced that. And he doesn't have to say, he's not forcing it. Like, here's what I did. Cause like, you know, everybody loves that kind of advice. <laughs> when I was, that gives Clark the chance to say, well, how did you? Yeah. It's like, oh, right. This is why I'm thinking of this because this is the question that I want to ask. And I asked my dad this question in one form. And you see it in his face that he's like, man, if I could only have the answer to this question, but I'm going to get the answer that I already know, and it doesn't right. really apply, uh, so he thinks. And then to, to capitalize on that whole tangent I just went on, and like that was everything that was going to happen at the time when this scene was written and shot and everything that wasn't changed until after this movie came out. So you go from that line, she was my world, and then you have Jonathan tells Clark, I miss you, son. Yeah, I like that. That's the moment where we realize this has, or I realize this has stopped being a memory. And mm -hmm. it is, it's interesting that like Jonathan stops building the wall or, or building the cairn again. And Clark just stands there. Now he says, I miss you, son. And this isn't the memory. 
so this is now, I guess, not alluding to, this is framing this as, no, this is from Jonathan now. Mm -hmm. This is what this connection is. Clark looks skyward and the minute ends. <laughs> like we said, going into this, it's unclear at first is he actually having is he communing with his father you know this is not a ghost well and i think yeah well i think the idea is is um it's like a a memory but he is he is communing with his father because he carries him with him through the stories he was told and the memories he has of him and it's almost like it's almost like his brain inserts that into the moment but and that's what kind of because that's when jonathan disappears yeah because this is a Zack snyder picture that line that is drawn suddenly gets really shady right but it's also that i think that line is kind of what makes clark not that he's like fooled into thinking he's talking to his dad but it almost brings him back to reality because he says i miss you it's like well why would you oh that's right we aren't having this exchange because you're gone and I'm reminded of that by you saying I miss you. And that is that is why the conversation just kind of ends and there's no bye, see you later. I remember as an audience member, it was when, when he said, I miss you, son, that's when I caved the first time that uh -huh. I saw it because it was just there was a disconnect because Clark was mm -hmm. reliving this. And mm -hmm. um, it didn't mean Jonathan was back. It was almost accentuating that he was gone. Yeah. Uh, and when he says, I miss you, son, that was like, it's doing a lot of the same things in a different way, but then also saying there is meaning in this communion with him, though. Yeah. And and Clark saying, I miss you too, dad, is, is not, like you're saying, he looks up, he doesn't look to Jonathan. Jonathan doesn't look to him. It's it's just that moment, and then we get the, he's there by himself, and I assume everyone in the audience, like me, is sitting there going, what did I just watch? Like, mm -hmm. what did I just witness to, uh, what did I bear witness to here? And uh, honestly, I think Clark is there. Yeah. So well, I which, think that really works. Which I think is fascinating because I think that naturally then leads you to, you know, you say, what did I just watch? What did I witness? And then as you start to think about it, you kind of realize you're less interested or maybe it matters less exactly what it was so much as why it was and which is kind of the mindset you need to be in for all of this movie. Yeah, Clark, I guess on some level that well, I guess this is what I came up here for. Yeah. Uh to, to have this moment. Um I will also call out that boy, if you ever wondered why when Jonathan realized that they had left the dog in the car, he said, "Go with your mother." <laughs> um and get her out of harm's way. I think this clicks. She's my whole world. Yeah. So. Well, but also yeah. why he went for the dog. Right. I mean, and, well, he'd, and hear that, he'd hear that dog, he'd hear yeah. a dog wailing in his sleep. Yeah. Yeah. Every night. Let's just hope that Jonathan's wails do not echo in that dog's nightmares. Although I guess we see, we never see that dog again. So we can assume that it lived a happy life. Yeah. But yeah, it's a, it's a heavy scene, but I just really like yeah. every line of it. Every line of it speaks to what we're talking about from this movie from beginning to end and back into Man of Steel. Yeah. Well, speaking of going back into Man of Steel, I think that's one of the things I was going to mention up top before you know obviously we kind of had a, a snowball effect of all the other stuff we've talked about but that because this so heavily i don't want to say mirrors but tacks onto or grows from the the scene on the back of the pickup truck that ends with can't i just be your son um no sorry that's not end with can't i just be your son that's in the barn isn't it the one on the yep. back of the pickup truck is when he says you need to keep this part of yourself a secret people are afraid of what they don't yeah yeah um, but it grows from that, and that was such a controversial scene in Man of Steel 
because people didn't understand why it was there or where it was coming from because everybody wants Superman to be encouraged to be Superman and be excited to be Superman. And he keeps on being faced with Jonathan says that. And then Martha says, you don't owe this world a thing. And then, and then now you get to this scene and he's like, dad, I'm struggling being a hero. And his dad is like, yep, I was a hero once. Yep. (laughs) People had like a really passionate react, like, because it reminded, it was almost like PTSD for the people who were so mad about that scene of why won't they just tell him to smile and save people? Which is interesting to be like they were so loving in the scene and the emotion here and everything, and to think it's hard to put myself in the head headspace of someone who was watching this like enraged. It is, yeah. I mean, because the parallels are so clear. I mean, Jonathan literally was just a guy trying to do the right thing. Yeah, trying. He was trying to protect his world, not realizing that the world is not that simple. And it's so weird too because the the type of I don't know. I don't. I don't want to get too wrapped up in the in the the like the type of people who complain about this no but but if you look at something that's that's generally well received like the um like the sam raimi spider-man movies which are you know i think a lot of people that's what kicked off oh my gosh the people who people closest to me will always be the ones who suffer this is my gift my curse yeah exactly and and that is so you know not even that though just with great power comes great responsibility as like that this is that is exactly what this is this is Peter Parker talking to Uncle Ben, yeah, right with this character, and you know, Sp- Spider Man is not a down and depressing character, right? He loves being Spider Man. He whoops and hollers as he swoops through the streets on his webs and in a colorful, you know, blue and red costume. So the fact that like you can have that on one side, and then on this side, it's like, nope, you can't have angst over the fact that his heroism bears a price. It's just a, such a weird shift in the years from those movies to this one. Oh, yeah. Well, and even within this one movie, right? What happened in the middle frame between that trilogy coming out and this movie coming out, I think, is the truth is I am Iron Man. And that kind of fundamentally shifts how people want their heroes to relate with their heroicness. But uh, how do you be Superman? Right. Is I mean, basically (laughs) the question of this movie, you know, you need to see like you need to have the vision and see how you are impacting things. And then he goes to this mountain and Jonathan's like, yeah, it turns out you can't even really see <laughs> what is seeing anyway. You know, man, can you and imagine it haunted me every night? <laughs> can you imagine if Jonathan Kent was Matthew McConaughey? Oh, wow. <laughs> but, but then it's also like, I mean, that with great power must also come great responsibility is like, okay. And, but yeah. like in this scenario, it would be like, you know, dad, could you like, condense this into like one clear uh motto almost like a mantra so what would jonathan's jonathan's in this would be like try to do good bad might happen i found your mother and that that is how i kind of well don't give up on the world just because bad happens like it's it's almost this almost sounds like a nihilistic way of saying it but at the same time i think i feel like liberates you from the the feeling of nihilism that comes with it is that you have to accept that bad things are going to happen. As, as Spider-Pig tells Miles Morales in, in the Spider-Verse is that, that people get hurt or that you can't, you can't save everybody. And that is like a depressing thought, but once you kind of swallow that pill, it enables you to save people. Once well, you accept yeah, yeah. that, like, I can't save everyone, I can save some of them. And I can't let the fact that I can't save all of them stop me 
from saving some of them. He would say that, and then Jonathan would like rub his neck and go like, "Yeah, <laughs> you know, uh, that's your you call. You got to do what you got to do." Yeah. <laughs> I mean, that was, you know, I mean, the, the writers of this film have given you a pretty clear cut of like, I was just trying to do the right thing. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and it literally destroyed a farm and the horses, which are kind of a symbol yeah. of like uh, the divine or the destiny. So, uh, yeah, <laughs> for someone who can literally change the flow of like human history and the entire world. Suddenly, the advice, maybe don't do anything, has another level of, gosh, I mean, that's a conclusion you could come to, yeah. Yeah. Well, if you think about it as, like, butterfly effect, but without, like, it is butterfly effect, he's just not from the future, he's just causing the butterfly effect in the moment. And again, and again, everywhere Superman goes, Luther wants death, because this is where it gets him. Yeah. The, The stakes are high. I try to do the right thing, and people are dying. Yeah, well, imagine if diverted this flow of water to save your farm results in the Lang horses drowning, imagine if on top of that, Lex Luthor was coordinating to set other farms on fire at the same time as you were drowning the Lang horses on What am I supposed to do? Just let the farm wash away? Yeah. Maybe? Like, do I let my horses drown? Maybe? Yeah. Uh, I mean, honestly, that kind of is the Superman question. It's like, if doing one thing saves a hundred lives... I mean, it's just, this is getting to the, I think the, the main conclusion is this is all the stuff we've talked about of like, what has driven Clark here is I no longer know what I'm supposed to do. And this is the thing that like, for example, Batman has perfect clarity on this. And it's, and that's where we talk about like the Cheney doctrine stuff of can, if there's a 1% chance, I have to take it as an absolute certainty. If, if, if this terrorist watch list will save civilians and violate liberties, but we must do it because it might save people and like this and that is the you know that is the far other end of the spectrum but it's really interesting batman sleep soundly sleep soundly knowing you had no choice yeah exactly there's a lot of parallels here because uh we we come to the end of this minute and what seems like an odd place to end the minute uh actually results in clark's <laughs> four words being used to open the next minute which is kind of like the closest we're probably going to get in this movie to the like Alan Moore style of boxed dialogue on a page <laughs> turn. But that brings to a close Clark's conversation with Jonathan. I'll just use this as an opportunity because we're going to talk about other stuff in the next minute. But that shot of then Clark alone is such a such a good mm-hmm. shot. Like That's such a good sequencing of mm-hmm. shots there to drive home. Like now how he has returned to being still and alone. Yeah. Well, we even end the minute on an a an inhale. I, I guess we'll leave the discussion of the exhale for the next minute. But the the complete inhale exhale action is such a moment of transformation. Like like if you're going to pin it on like where does he accept the reality or understand or face his his task at hand? It's it's the the breath in and then the the uh the following action is his uh moment of pivot he's alone on that mountaintop when he makes that exhale that will do it for minute 107 we are not alone because we have the listeners following us along this journey and also each other thank goodness this would be a really effective if i could mimic steven is gone right now (laughs) 
Um, and it is just <laughs> just me now recording and saying that you know where to go. Find us on Twitter at BVS by the minute or support the podcast for BVS and Justice League and the many Snyder films to come at patreon.com slash Snyder Minute. As always, if you haven't, please leave a five-star review on iTunes or tell a friend to listen to the podcast or both. Next up will be an incredible pivot, Clark's isolation to isolation of a very different sort. Um, different, but I'll be, I've done this a couple times already, but I'm going to be talking about like the last three minutes a lot in the next minute. <laughs> there's nothing left to say, but I miss you, Stephen. Oh. <sighs>